Hello, and welcome to Knock Off Drinks with a Difference. I'm your host, Amy Armstrong, passionate non-alcoholic expert and sober socialite. Grab your favourite glass of non-alcoholic wine and join me on the couch for a chat about all things alcohol-free. Today, I am not coming to you from the couch in Griffith Street, Port Ferry. I am sitting in a bar in Hoxton in London, and I am joined by the founder and... Chief Brand Officer. ...of the Big Drop Brewing Company, James Kindred. And we are coming to you from the brew house kitchen in Hoxton, and we are drinking a... Paradiso Citra IPA, which is one of my favourites. And it's on tap, people. So for all of you listening in Australia, this is the future. One day we are going to be able to walk into a pub and and order a big drop on tap, which is super exciting and something to look forward to because it tastes totally different, doesn't it? It's. I think there's just something about having poured something poured on draft, which just makes it. And it's the same as you know the the old age of drinking coke from a glass bottle rather than a can and that sort of thing. I think there's just the the, the ritual of having it poured from draft as well it just makes it that more special. Yeah. And yeah, it tastes amazing yeah. as as always everywhere else. But it's it's particularly good to see it kind of get poured out on the front bar. Yeah. So what we're drinking here is one of a range of many. Um, what was the sort of the origin story of Big Drop? When did you start and sort of how? Uh, we started in 2016. Um, so Rob, one of my oldest friends who uh, I've lived with, played in bands with, he performed my wedding ceremony. Um, so we, we've known each other pretty well over the last 30 years, I guess. Quite slightly terrifying to talk about. Um, he stopped drinking in 2014 uh, when his first son was born and he worked, uh, he had a law firm in London and part of his job was to go out and look after clients and lunch them and, and wine and dine them to make sure that they were paying lots of money to the law firm. Um, but when he stopped drinking, he couldn't stop taking people out for lunch. He had to continue to do that, but he couldn't find anything that was enjoyable as a non-alcoholic option. You had your mass-produced apologists, commiseration prize, alcohol-free beers, um, and they, they weren't particularly enjoyable after one bottle, let alone any bottles. You couldn't drink Coca-Cola or any syrupy kind of pre-mix out of the tap because you would probably get pretty ill pretty quickly if you had an afternoon doing that. Um, and mineral water and juices and teas and coffees just aren't a sustainable thing to have an afternoon in a pub looking after clients. So Rob asked the question, why has nobody done for craft beer what, you know, for alcohol-free beer, what craft beer has done for that, that beer movement? So he came to me with the idea and I said, yeah, sounds interesting. And I'm from a creative uh, design agency background. I was a graphic designer for 20 years, um, an equally boozy uh, profession um, and relished the idea. So the Big Drop, the, the idea was created to create Big Drop and Rob and I couldn't brew beer. We don't brew, you know, we're not experts in brewing. Uh, we understand it a lot more now than we did back then. Um, but we had to find someone who was a master brewer and we found Johnny um, and we approached Johnny with the challenge and said we want to make a really good alcohol free beer and he said no you want to make a really good alcohol really good craft beer that happens to be alcohol free at that point had he made an alcohol any alcohol free beer no so Johnny was from the other end of the spectrum to a certain extent he's an experimental brewer and he worked for the wild beer company and the wild beer company used lactobacillus which is an incredibly volatile yeast you'll end up with a you know you, you look at it wrong and you'll end up with a 12 percent raspberry goza <laughs> Um, so, but his understanding of balance and um, creating good taste profiles at that volu- at that alcohol volume applied exactly the same way to, to creating no low alcohol or no alcohol beers is that it's a, it's about balance 
balance is the main thing. And Johnny's argument is that anyone can make a 4.2% IPA. It's easy. You know, you just get the bits and pieces you need, you can put it together and you'll get something that's drinkable at about 4.2. The real challenge is in the, the extremes of the spectrum and getting a really well-balanced 9.2%, which isn't going to take your face off, <laughs> and getting a really well-balanced 0.5% face very similar challenges. And the challenge comes down to taste profile and balance. Yeah. And so the, there's a core range of how many? So there's a core range of four. Um, and that's a, a lager, a stout, and a pale ale and an IPA. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a crafted range. So the crafted range has things like uh, Kobermeyer, which is a cerveza, uh, which is a really nice, crisp kind of, you know, stick a lime in the top uh, Mexican-style beer. We've got sour. We've got a woodcutter, which has just come out as a special edition in Australia, which is fantastic, similar to a Newcastle brown kind of flavor um, and then over a period of time we've done some crazy summer specials and some collaborations with other brewers so we've done stuff with Japanese hops we've done stuff with cherries we've done stuff with pastry sours we've done loads of kind of crazy beers so we've done over 25 beers in our time what is a pastry sour uh, so the pastry sour it was a peach melba pastry sour and we did that with Amundsen Brewery and that was absolutely amazing it came out as a kind of pinky colored uh, cloudy beer it's still 0.5% but yeah. just this amazing flavour and if it, it, it you probably it, as a sour goes it's not the, the kind of 9% sours it's an entry level sour where you've got that bitterness and that twist but it's just a really refreshing cold kind of a good lawnmower beer <laughs> I like that lawnmower beer <laughs> or when you're painting the fence yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so with these all these limited editions and the crazy collabs and everything, how, who comes up with the ideas? Uh, so uh, Johnny will always kind of try and push the boundaries of what's possible or what's expected with an alcohol-free beer. Yeah. Um, and we'll approach. Uh, so the last World Collab we did was uh, beginning of last year, uh, and that was with the Nord uh, Nordic Brewers. So we had Fat Lizzie, we had Amundsen, um, and we had a couple of others we were working with. And we'd go to them and say, hey, how about doing something like this? And we did like a coconut stout. And we did an elderflower, and we've done a um, juniper rye ale, which was amazing. It was one of my favourites. I've still got some in my fridge, and they've probably gone past their best before date, but they're still <laughs> absolutely it. amazing. Yeah. Um, and Johnny will always try and kind of come up with ingredients and, and things that you just wouldn't expect from an alcohol-free. And you know, everyone else is doing some really interesting stuff at the moment as well. But we really wanted to when we came out in 2016. We really wanted to push the boundaries of what was, what people thought was the norm with alcohol-free, which was a lager, yep. and that was it. And the alcohol was boiled away, and you weren't left with much, mm. and it was not an enjoyable experience. And we want to just flip that on its head and try and challenge the, challenge the alcohol-free movement to do some really interesting stuff. It's interesting because I feel like in Australia, the way that the kind of um, the shaping of the industry has happened. Non-alcoholic beer has really been led by craft beer. Um, it feels like, because it's really only been in the last 18 months that uh, non-alcoholic beers kind of flipped into the mainstream at all. And that really wasn't led by the commercial lager brands. It was really led by Big Drop and, and, and you know, Heaps Normal and some of the other the craft beers. So it's a totally different you know, direction. Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think that I mean it, it's similar to a certain extent over here because I don't know if the you question whether Heineken Zero Zero would have come out if we if 
craft beer hadn't started doing interesting things with it and, and highlighting the opportunity within the space. And then there is an audience out there. It's a very broad audience. People want to stop or cut down on their drinking for a thousand different reasons. And the, the consumer base is very broad. So, you, you know, there's, there's an interesting kind of space opened up. And I think the, the, the craft beer scene has done a lot around that to a certain extent. And then you've got the other, you know, the botanicals, outside beer and the alternative drinks and that sort of thing again has, has created this interesting new space and the bigger corporates are starting to see the opportunity to come into that space with doing things like the Heinekens and the Budweiser's and that sort of thing some work some don't some are still kind of following a similar path of it's just a lesser thing but it shouldn't be it's not a lesser option it's a lower ABV which is very different to a lesser option in terms of a beer quality yeah yeah well um, we all know that Heineken is a lesser option. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, do you have a favourite out of your whole range? Uh, the Paradiso, uh, right here. It's, it, it, it's the equivalent to the full strength beer that I used to drink yeah. in, in terms of the taste profile and the, the, the really nice kind of fruity aftertaste and that sort of thing. So it, it's my absolute go to. Yeah. I'll drink a woodcutter in the autumn, um, sometimes have one of our stouts, uh, but I was never much of a big stout drinker before, kind yeah. of four big drops so it's and that's always the, the very funny thing we found out when we started is if we started talking to people and we'd say do you want to try our alcohol free stout as an example and they say oh yeah I'd love, love to try it and they try it and they go oh I don't like that and so what stouts do you usually drink oh I don't like full strength stout <laughs> but, hello yeah it's the, the thing we're trying to do is create you know craft versions of, of the styles it's not a going to change the flavour profile but I think that's part of the thing people think is that if you're creating an alcohol free option that there would be a huge shift in flavour. No, there shouldn't be. It should be a style that you're used to and a style that you enjoy and something you can open and trust that it's going to be something you'll go to and again. People are a worry. <laughs> yeah. Um, how long have you been able to get your beer on tap? So it, here in England they call that on draft. We don't know what that means. It means on tap. How long has that been a thing? Uh, so it's been on tap uh, probably since late 2019. We started doing a few things. Unfortunately, the, 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 the COVID thing got in the way. Um, and we, we twen- uh, early 2020, we had big plans to go into draft. We had kind of relationships with All Bar One, which is a big pub group over here. And they were doing trials in some pubs. But then obviously everything stopped. There were no pubs. No, there were no pubs. <laughs> there were no restaurants. So um, we, we, we pivoted a little bit in, in not doing draft because there was nowhere to do it. We focused on online sales and that sort of thing, especially during the early online lockdown because wholesalers were shut as well and supermarkets were you know, limited. So um, we started doing e-com and really pushing into that. But now things are starting to reset and settle down again. And we've, we've got these big draft opportunities out here, both with the, the, the larger chains, the larger group chains, and also smaller independent chains as well. So destination pubs out in the countryside who do Sunday lunches or, you know, big family meals and that sort of thing. Big Drop's absolutely perfect for something like that. Somewhere you've got to drive to to enjoy a meal, but you want to have a really nice beer with your dinner. Solved. Done. You know, it it works really nicely. Are you getting uptake on it regionally? Yeah, so, you know, across the UK, really, it's picking up really nicely. So we've got uh, fairly good coverage up in Manchester, Liverpool and the North West. 
Uh, southwest, we've got pub chains as well. Where I'm from in East Anglia, which is kind of, uh, I'm from Ipswich, uh, which is, well, you've got an Ipswich in Australia, which I've been to as well. So, um, yeah. Can, did, you, did you just go there because of the name? Were you like, yeah, I have to go there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was doing a three week tour from Sydney up to Brisbane and just thought, well, I'm, while I'm that way, it would be rude not to. So, uh, it was a flying visit, but I popped past. But yeah, so East Anglia and, and Ipswich, where I'm from, we've got, it's a very rural area, but we've got good coverage because there's good destination pubs out there so chestnut inns uh i've got 13 pubs we're available through all of those because it's it, the demand's really high of people wanting really good quality wanting choice and not necessarily wanting alcohol so what's your um, personal relationship with alcohol like i mean you said your your partner he's started off being sober with the whole business have you yeah, yeah. you yourself cut out drinking yeah, so I've, I've stopped drinking full-strength beer uh, probably 18 months ago. I did dry January um, and just didn't stop in particular. So I, I'll have the odd whiskey now and again, but alcohol I've kind of mostly cut out because I've got fantastic option with Big Drop. So it's kind of, you know, if I want to enjoy a really good craft beer, I can, but the, the alcohol is not part of the equation anymore. Yeah. Have you noticed a big change with your palate and your taste buds? Yeah, totally. I think there's... Uh, I, I, I'm far more aware of the depth of flavors in things and also i think just my general enjoyment uh, i enjoy spicy food a hell of a lot more now and i think that's possibly because i can taste the other flavors apart from the heat um so uh, there it has broadened my kind of enjoyment of food and everything as well because then you don't really realize particularly with wine i think wine's probably the biggest culprit of how can it completely flattens your palate um and and kind of coats your mouth in just wine flavor or nothing um and you can you know chuck a load of food and you're not really enjoying it so that has kind of broadened a lot of my enjoyment of food and everything else yeah People are always surprised by this, like because I run tasting events really regularly, and when I tell them that they're, if they are still drinking alcohol, to expect a bit of a different experience to the non-drinkers because their taste buds are essentially dead, yeah. they're like, oh, "I do." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't call my yeah. taste buds dead, but I it's think, it's a really interesting thing that, as a good example, I went on a brewery tour years ago. There's a local brewery up in uh, East Anglia called Green King, and they do brewery tours, and they do somewhere from a 3.2, and they do up to a 7.8. And you start on a 3.2 and they take you through the entire range and you get up to the 7.8 and you can't really notice the strength go up. But then they take you back to the 3.2 and you can't taste anything. That's so interesting. It's it's a really good experiment. If you want to see kind of what that that sort of scale and that progress does to your taste buds, go on a beer tour, start on the low one, go to the strong one, then go back to the low one again. And that will give you an indication of where your taste profile is getting flattened by the alcohol content. It's good stuff. It is, yeah. I, 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 but the good thing is, I, I don't really. I was worried I'd miss full strength beer because I really still like to love full strength beer. But I, I don't. It's not really kind of. I haven't had any pangs. I don't know what the word is for it, but it's just no cravings for kind of going back to the to the alcohol beers anymore. Which yeah. is nice. Did you do any like head work around it? Like, did you do any like for me? I had to. I didn't have to. I did an online course that kind of changed the way I thought about my relationship to alcohol did you do any reading or no not so much I think I I, I downloaded an app called Headspace uh, which is really good which is a kind of guided meditation thing and this guy's got an incredibly calming voice and he just does guided meditations for you and you can do stuff around anxiety you can do stuff for stress but you can just do just general guided meditation stuff and I, I did a bit of that but I think the main thing I want that there was an app it was one of the alcohol concern apps that I downloaded and you could kind of tick your days off. So you gamify it a little bit. Yeah. And then you, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to miss a day. You keep going. And I just kept going for 100 days, but I just didn't stop. 
it just kind of and then I stopped using the app and then that fell away and then probably stopped stopped using Headspace quite as much and then it's just the new normal yeah. after that and I don't really think about it after that yeah it's so it's so it's so good have you felt um, lots of mini flow on effects from having given it away um, I think because I did it I, I think I'm probably less grumpy in the mornings. My wife and my kids are probably better people up class than me because they're probably more brutally honest than me and will go, he's probably less grumpy. Uh, he probably falls asleep on Sundays on the couch less um, and just having just general more energy and that sort of thing and not feeling sluggish, I think is probably the main things. But that, that just gradually happened. I, I, I couldn't, without you having asked me, I couldn't actually sit here and kind of pinpoint exactly what it was, but as soon as you ask it, oh no, I am. Oh yeah, that does work. Oh no, I'm better for that. So it is, there are things, yeah, totally. And does it feel like as a non-alcoholic beer business owner, does it feel a bit more like you're more genuinely invested in in that now? Does your relationship with the company change, Denny? Um, no, I, I think... What we always want to do is be about choice. We're not trying. We, we don't want to go out and be too holier than thou about drinking or not drinking or what your lifestyle choice is. We want to be there to give you the opportunity to have choice. Yeah. If you want to still drink a full strength, that's 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 cool. That's up to you. That's fine. If you want to go out and have you know a big drop, then a full strength, and a big drop, then a full strength, or just have it on your Sundays or on your work evenings, have a big drop then whatever fits into your lifestyle and gives you the benefit of giving you choice or if you're time poor more time because you're less sluggish and that sort of thing however it fits with you that's cool we're not we don't want to get too preachy with it um now i read uh, quite recently on your linkedin that you've had a recent asd diagnosis working towards one yeah so i i i think when i was about 40 uh someone kind of said have you ever thought of, you might be autistic and I, I kind of probably took it as slight offence when they originally said it to me. I was like, well, not really, no. Looked into it more and more. And over the last few years, I've been looking at kind of what my traits are, uh, gone to counselling and that sort of thing to try and work out what it is. But over here, it's very difficult to get uh, autism Don't. diagnosis. Especially as a grown-up. Oh, absolutely, as a grown-up, I think. And my, my daughter at the moment, she's just turned eight. She's showing traits of autism that's even hard for the GPs to get to listen the, the, the diagnosis is going through her school at the moment and they're they're all over it they're fantastic and they've got fantastic support structure for it as a 44 year old much harder because the the GPs will just go yeah it's not a thing you're just you know it's just you being you it's like that's not really a thing either um, so I'm working through it at the same time my wife has just uh, had a uh, ADHD diagnosis uh, fortunately for her there's there are tablets and there are things you can take for ADHD less so for autism but over the past four years I've learned to have coping mechanisms and work out what my traits are and that sort of thing and as we we're briefly talking about earlier before we started the recording is that how alcohol probably used to act as a coping mechanism for me to try and kind of get rid of my social anxieties or deal with it in a certain way and now I've learned to do it without the alcohol and I still have the traits and that sort of thing but I'm pretty good at masking now um, and I'm pretty good at knowing where my overloads are going to happen and where I need to kind of just shut myself off a little bit and, 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 and regroup um, but yeah the, the alcohol part of uh, working understanding that diagnosis and, and, and getting rid of it has been a big help in working towards kind of 
hopefully getting an official diagnosis. Yeah, and that would have meant that you were able to develop healthy coping mechanisms to help you along the way as well, yeah, haven't you? As opposed to the kind of pretty unhealthy ones I'd probably had for the for most of my adult life, <laughs> the coping mechanisms were just I, I, I'm stressed. I'm in a very busy environment. I don't like it. Booze. Yeah. Um, that's not really a coping mechanism it's just a distraction (laughs) so I think cutting that away and and finding other ways to cope with it has made a big difference were you having like social anxiety was it was that a big part of it yeah totally like I hate like trade shows and that sort of thing I'll go and do but I hate big crowds like concerts and that sort of thing and I I, and I, I my wife always hates it because I can't walk into a restaurant first like and that sort of thing I get real anxieties about walking into crowded places uh, it's relatively quiet here today which is great yeah. um, but I, I, I do get kind of big group anxieties meeting new people always a real tricky thing for me and that sort of thing as well so it is lots of masking and coping mechanisms and that sort of thing and, and weird kind of uh, traits that I have but that I'm completely cu- um, cool with them and they're me um, yeah. and they're, they're not weird things or anything like that it's just great ways for me to be able to kind of deal with it like I always wear a hat and everyone just thinks it's absolutely mad I always go into the office and take my hat off and people go oh, I forgot you've got hair <laughs> I like, have a full head of hair that's not wearing, wearing a hat but it's just wearing it and I'll wear a beanie most of the time as well but it is just that kind of comfort thing yeah. And but that's just how I deal with stuff and yeah. that's kind of absolutely fine so it's coming to terms with it and having a really good team around me and you know, as you say, I put something on LinkedIn that said it, and the amount of support that I got back was really refreshing because I was a little bit nervous about doing it at first. And I think probably the team that I've worked with over the last you know, however many years have probably noticed my weird traits and that sort of thing, and my yeah. opening, my insane OCD when it comes to design layout and that sort of thing. But at the same time, when I put it out on LinkedIn, I didn't know what the response was going to be. But I've had so many people go, oh, my son's going through ASD diagnosis as well. It's really good to see someone out there doing something about it and being confident to talk about it because it is a thing that people don't really want to talk about because they don't know how people are going to react. Yeah, and it, um, I am really glad that I've seen, like in my my personal circle, but also in the, some of the sober circles, uh, so, you know, um, community sober community in in Australia, people who are in that coming out and saying I've just had an ADHD diagnosis, yeah. and there's I'm I'm going to do some more talking to people about it because it seems like there is a really strong link between the you know ADHD and ASD and using alcohol as a coping mechanism yeah, yeah or you know other, other substance abuse and that sort of thing yeah. not, not perhaps just other not just alcohol but there's other kind of coping mechanisms that people will struggle with who are who display far stronger traits than me or have far greater kind of swings in terms of social anxiety and that sort of thing who will try and suppress it with alcohol or, or whatever else yeah. um, that you know the, the, the support structure has not really ever been there people they just think oh they're just they're just doing it yeah there's just there's no you know, don't look too far into the reasons they just they drink a lot it's like okay well there's you know, there, there can be a million reasons of why that's the case mm-hmm. and one of those reasons could be neurodiversity yeah yeah well i really appreciate you being really open with me about that i think it's um really beneficial for you to share your story and people will often hear these things and be able to relate to them and that can help people then yeah, address ho- how the, how their behaviours. Yeah, hopefully so. And I think one of the really other refreshing things that's come out of as well as I've had a local, the local council have got in touch with me and asked me how I could get involved with trying to kind of raise awareness for the for neurodiversity and, and treatment and diagnosis. Mm-hmm. 
and then I've also had a, a couple of people from schools get in touch with me and ask me if I'd go in and speak to students because there's a lot of anxiety with students who do have neurodiversity of kind of where am I going to fit in what, what am I going to do what happens when I leave school and I think in, in some cases not every case because the, it, it can be different for lots of people but if I can go in and help a couple of people and just give them a bit more confidence that they can go out and do something and they can thrive then I, I feel like I've done something to help that's so awesome that's so, look at you making a difference look at that blushing now <laughs> oh well um, I really really appreciate your time and I really appreciate your patience with me because we we I stuffed up the first lot of recording blame the technology as well we'll blame the technology we're on the on the hop in the pub um, we're going to have another beer and uh, I'll catch you all next week thank you so much thanks Amy a big thanks to James for coming on and discussing all of his personal experiences with alcohol and and how that's really come into play now that he's got that um, ASD diagnosis on the horizon. Really appreciate it, James. And I really appreciate Big Drop who have sponsored me to get me over to England. So that was so amazing to have that support and assistance in getting over here. As per usual, head to drybutwet.com.au for all of your excellent non-alcoholic reviews, including some Big Drop drops. I have regular tasting events coming up in Melbourne and Sydney. So please check the events page for those. And if you like this podcast, please do subscribe and I'll see you next week. Cheers.